Well, I wanted to do what I could to help Buddy, and, and uh, I figure speaking is something I can do. Now, that's me with all that feedback, so y'all can work that out, or I can turn it off, because anybody that knows me knows I'm loud enough without it. And, uh, uh, but I figured I would speak for him instead of cook for y'all, because I did want him to get better, all right? <laughs> so, now, I realize I'm going out on a limb here. I figure since I know many of you, some of you I went to high school with and whatnot, that I will, I may as well tell you an embarrassing story to start with because you will probably remember me to some degree doing silly things anyway. But, uh, and this one I found had a poignant message at the end of it because I began to think about that I have a tendency to apply really dumb things that happen to me to what God is trying to tell me. And all of a sudden the message gets really clear because now I can hear him based just on my inadequacies. Um, so I, on this particular occasion I had had gone to the, a theme park, and I had paid my cost of tuition, which now, what is it, about $100 to get in the door of a theme park. So uh, it was a water park, and I decided, well, you know, I love adrenaline. I'm going to try something a little different. And everybody said, we need to do this. Okay, so there's two things going on here. One is peer pressure, which anybody's young enough to really fall for that, uh, don't. And the other is uh, the sheer stupidity that adrenaline junkies can get themselves into, which is me. <laughs> Well, apparently, for my mere $100 investment, I can go at a Mach 23 miles an hour through a tube with 5,000 rivets, okay? And, and I can climb 96 steps to get to the top of this, okay? Ever notice you have to work your way into these things? So I had 96 steps to change my mind, to have a wise moment, a common sense thought. But no, once you get up there, you think, I've climbed this far. I certainly don't want to walk back down. So as I'm standing up there with the rushing water, going through the tube and the person in front of me is going and the next person's going you realize you know you know that epiphany you start to have when your heart's beating a little fast and you're going i shouldn't be doing this this is a bad idea so anyway while i was i was standing there waiting it was my turn well now not only is it my turn and I'm my my body and mind are saying don't uh the people behind me are saying hurry up so now I, i'm at a, at that crossroads of decision so as i step in that tube and and I go down the 23 miles an hour, something happens in that tube with all that rushing water and, and I'm no longer feet first, I'm somehow upside down and sideways. And then I'm turned this way, going down the tube sideways. And Next thing I know, I'm backwards, my head first going down and I'm, I don't know how that happened to me. And, and then I realized that each one of those safety rivets has an impacting moment as you're doing all this, right? And, and, and it goes from wee to out, oh, oh, oh. and so you can't wait to get out of that other end. Your anticipation is enormous. Well, one thing leads to another, and as I, as I get out, as I come out of the end of this tube, I'm all turned around, and, and I go underwater, and I don't know which way is up. I'm going in circles. I've been spun around 23 miles an hour. And I come out, and as I hit the water, and I'm, I'm just gasping for air, and I'm reaching, I just hear from, from a distance a voice, ooh. And I'm like, oh, my God. And you can hear people talking. And you know that underwater sound when you can hear people just, there's something going on, but you're, you're they're way away. I was way away. Ooh, ooh. And finally, I can hear with a poignant clarity, stand up. <laughs> I got a 17-year-old looking at me with a whistle going, stand up! I'm in three feet of water. 
in my mind, the 23 miles an hour, and my common sense got together, and the question of what in the world were you thinking, and then when I hit the water, the uncertainty all culminated in a huge, embarrassing moment with a 17-year-old not even looking panicked. Stand up! He's not jumping in. He's not rescuing me. He's just waiting for me to realize if you stop for a second, your butt's on the bottom. <laughs> now, now, I realize that I'm telling you stories I will probably regret, but, but there is a poignant message in all of this. My assumption was I was here. I was over my head. I mean, I, I learned a long time ago in, in scuba classes and stuff, once you're over your head, it really doesn't matter how deep it is. And so in my mind, oh man, I was here. I was, I was lurking at the bottom. And really, I was, I was the kitty end of the pool. It had spit me out with such trajectory that I was okay. But I had convinced myself I was in a really, really deep place. Stand up. Two words liberated me from complete confusion, fear, panic, chaos. Stand up. So my question today, how I've kind of, in my mind, began to realize as I think about the 17-year-old telling me something, a completely embarrassing moment in a three foot of water, can you hear your lifeguard? Who is your lifeguard? When life turns you around, spits you out, flips you upside down, the assumption is you're away over your head, who is that lifeguard speaking to you, telling you, stand up, come here, come to me? You know, I, I, I'm going to probably get to the end before I get there in my own heart right now because one thing that I realized is that guy was standing there on the side calmly looking at me. Stand up. His reaction and my reaction were at polar extremes. He was not freaking out. I was. But in his words to stand up, though liberating, they did not come with action. God is not that way. His words are liberating, empowering. And when you hear them in your heart, it's a hand reaching to you under the water, not a voice making a fool of you from above it. He's calling us to make a conscious decision. Are we going to thrive in this life? Or are we going to survive it? More often than not, day to day, nine to five, we're in survival mode. We go, what time is it? Oh, it's noon. Oh, great. Okay, how many? Oh, five o'clock. Thank God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Tunnel's not clogged. Those are things we think every day. But are we going to thrive in this life? And I believe that the lifeguard in our lives, the, the one that we have given the opportunity to speak to us in chaos, can help flip that a little bit. So we want to just, we don't want to just survive the day. We want to thrive in it. We want to have some joy, some peace, some hope, some love, some kindness, something. The breathing in and out all day long is a gift from God. So the day should leave you with something other than, I made it. In your crisis moments, can you hear your lifeguard? I could not hear when I was over my head. I could hear mumbling. I could hear murmuring. But I was over my head. I couldn't hear. My ear wasn't trained to hear that lifeguard. I didn't know to expect him to speak. I knew lifeguard whistles. I expected to hear a lot of those because I was drowning. <laughs> but he is calling us to transformation. Your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. You say, well, where do you get those? 
Well, Mark 12.30 tells us what we need to be doing. Jesus outlined what it takes to live a thriving and transformed life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Notice that it, it got broken down into four different parts. We talk about our heart transformation. But the difference between your head and your heart is 12 inches. It's a foot. But this part can talk this part out of anything. And this part can change this part into believing. It all depends on which direction you're willing to let that flow go. But it only works with faith. Save me for I am yours. Very simple. I found that some of the most powerful scriptures in my life are really short. You know, it says, well, you know, I remember somebody asking me once, you know, well, what did Jesus do? And I remember the scripture, it simply says, he wept. There are those moments when you are at your end. And there's a voice that wants to speak to you in a really calm and reasonable way. And there's a hand that wants to grab you and wants to transform you and wants to save you from all this silliness like I experienced and just say, here, let me help you. We just have to be aware that there's a process to be able to hear that voice. I call them the four C's of transformation and thriving. You got to communicate. And most of us who communicate, we think of prayer. I'm talking about a change in that communication. Where you get into that time of prayer and you be quiet. Be quiet. Listen. Be still and know that he is God. See what that still small voice will say to you. Allow all the water circling around your head. Just calm for a moment and hear what that voice is saying. Because it may be something like those two words that are completely liberating. Stand up. Go left. Go right. Don't. Stop. I was at the intersection up in Magruder one time and, and I heard God Poignantly, as the light turned green, said, stop. And a, a Mack truck ran the light. Had I gone, I'd have been right there. But it's that willingness to listen in a moment and train yourself to trust it and not think, well, oh, that was just me. Because I was late as usual. I need to hurry up. I need to get where I need to go. It's hot, not my nature to wait. But then God in that moment had a word and I needed to listen. I needed to heed it because if I didn't, the, the outcome was dramatically different. We need comprehension. We need to begin to understand what God says. If it doesn't give you peace, joy, love, kindness, patience, if it doesn't leave a positive impact, God's not talking. If it condemns, ridicules, throws you under the bus, reminds you of everything you've ever did wrong, it tells you all the mistakes and repeats them vividly over and over. Not God talking to you. They say that you will know them by their fruit. And the words of God in our hearts are very much the same way. If it does not give you peace and comfort, you can mark it off as not God's direction for you. Now, does that mean that everything you hear is going to be what you want to hear? Nope. No. Call them. I don't want to. Pray for them. I don't feel like it. Do it. I don't want to. Buy this. I don't have the money for that. Give this to them, but I don't really need to. We argue with the things that can give us peace. And then all of a sudden we do something that's completely out of our nature. And we almost sometimes begrudgingly do it. And the next thing you know, we're blessed. And we're like, oh my God, that was awesome. That was fantastic. But you don't get to experience that until you're, you're disciplined in doing it. You want to be confident. You want to trust what God says. God keeps his promises. Call on me and I will answer you. Far more than you can ask or think, I will provide for you. I like that one a lot. Because if I can think big and God is like, ah, oh, it's a piece of cake. 
He can think so much bigger than we can. We have a tendency to think thrive. I mean, we think survive. I need this in order for that. We don't go away all the way to here and go, God, I would, I would, Father, help me. I would like to be here someday and let him have his way and get you there. And then change. You got to be transformed by what God says. And what does that mean? You're like, oh, wow, that sounds really hard. No, it's not. It's sometimes it's going against our own nature. When you, when you don't feel like it, you do it anyway. When you don't want to get up, you get up. I mean, there are things that are just basics that are transformational. See that God can tr does, truly cares for you. You know he truly cares for you. And it, it's a spiritual foundation to taking care of yourself. It's critical to choosing to thrive. It's not just to survive in life. He wants you to have life more abundantly. He knows how deep the pool is you're in. He knows how deep it is you're about to step into. He knows that if you go over your head, he's going to help you. But it says, I've not only called to give you life, but life more abundantly. So on our own, we can have life. God has given us the gift of life. We are born. We are here. We can just endure it. Or we can have that life more abundantly, which I've discovered is exactly the opposite of what the world wants to tell you. The world will say, be selfish, God says to give. And that's not just money, that's time, that's energy, that's compassion, that's a smile at the grocery store or a friendly comment in an elevator. You know, it's, it's very simple. It's sometimes it's the exact opposite of what the world wants you to do. Your heart is the home of your will and intentions. Well, the first choice you have to make for, for life is in your heart. You've got to stay uncluttered. And you say, oh my goodness, how do I get uncluttered? Every one of us can sit here right now and say, is there anybody in my life that I need to get right with? Do it. Let it go. What's the worst that can happen? You feel liberated despite their response. You are not responsible for how they respond. You are responsible for how you respond. So if you say, hey, I'm praying for you. God bless you. No matter what they say, at that point that you stop saying what God has told you to say, you have been obedient and God will bless you for that. They are responsible for their response. I do this thing sometimes where I come to churches and talk about a thing called condition of satisfaction. Where I ask people, you need to decide, what is your condition of satisfaction? It'll revolutionize your date night and your marriage. When, you, when you're talking to your husband and you say, hey, he says, honey, what I want to do is watch the football game. My condition of satisfaction is four hours, Sunday afternoon, no honeydews. And then the wife looks at him and says, well, honey, my condition of satisfaction is Saturday night, I want to go to the movies and it's a chick flick. And I want popcorn, extra butter, and I want to sit in the middle and I don't want to be late. You've been really clear. So all of a sudden you're tolerant with one another about the things that make you feel satisfied because now you've been clear. I know exactly what you need. You know exactly what I need. That's a very basic example. But then it becomes, and when I do it in workplaces, somebody will say, oh, I need this memo by Tuesday. In their mind, they interpret that to mean, oh my God, it's got to be perfect. It's got to have pictures. It's got to be done, complete, ready to go, final product Tuesday. So by asking the simple question, hey, what is your condition of satisfaction? All of a sudden, the person that needs it says, I don't need spell check. I don't need pictures. I just need to know what the content's going to look like so I can start to think. It just took 12 hours off of that person's work day to figure that out. I don't know any of this making any sense. It's a very simple, simple concept. But, but when you're trying to get uncluttered in your heart, just do a basic inventory. You can be riding in the car. You can be sitting at home, whatever. And just say, Lord, is there anything that I need to take care of? And if there are things you can't, if there are people you can't communicate with for any reason, you just say, God, forgive me. I'll do better. 
And you just use it as that life lesson, learning, transformational moment. And it allows your, you to stop condemning yourself and allows God to start blessing you. I picked this one, which is kind of out of the beachy thing, because I really like the whole hummingbird thing. They, their heart beats 1,200 times a second. It's ridiculous. But one thing, they, they did this study, and they found out that they remember every plant that they go to and exactly how long it took them to feed there. Are you kidding me? And they're, they have the largest brain of any bird. All right, now this is all just trivial nonsense, but the point is God created that little teeny bird to not worry about what tomorrow will bring. If that bird doesn't eat enough, it dies on the spot. It can't carry anything. Its wings are so delicately balanced that even a fraction of a gram would cause it to fall to the ground. It can't carry and store. It just remembers where its source is. And I think that's what's important for us. Remember where your source is. Who is your lifeguard? Your soul houses that part of you that knows there's something beyond yourself. There's something more. You're not alone. When you choose life, when, you're, when in your soul you choose your thoughts, your attitudes, your expressions, you begin to change inside. All of a sudden, there are words you don't say anymore, and there are things you don't do anymore, and places you don't go anymore, because there's, there's a part of you that says there's something greater than me, and even in my actions, I want to honor him that is greater than me. And in some cases, it comes at a great price. There all of a sudden are, are people you don't see anymore, because if you don't go to those places, you don't see them. I'm not saying that you have, to, you have to rip yourself out of their life, but I'm saying there's a, something that happens in you that says, you know, no longer fulfilling, no longer where I really want to be. I want to be cognizant of the fact that I, I want God to be happy with, with who he sees living daily life, not just who he sees in those moments when I speak to him. And then there's that part of you, your intellect and that mental health capacity. You know, little choices, minute by minute, make a big difference. Things like what you're watching on TV, what you're listening to, the people you're talking to, the people you're listening to can really impact how well you hear the lifeguard. You got to be really careful. All of a sudden, you know, you're, you're, there, there are things that you, know, you turn the TV on and somebody's talking and they're telling you fear, gloom, and doom. I work news for a long time. And the CNN cycle, you know, it's every 15 minutes the news cycle will repeat. Well, they did this study and realized that people that are watching the news all day, <clears throat> within about a week, they have taken on those stories as their own personal lives. The Casey Anthony story, they found people had taken that on as their own. That there was a, all of a sudden people were having emotional responses and having their own heart issues based on things they were watching on TV over and over and over and over. The redundancy of a story or a message. And so when we're looking at these things in our own lives, just paying attention to what you're watching, what you're letting go in. Because I tell my son all the time, there are things you cannot unsee. And often there are things you cannot unhear. But you have to clean that part of you, allow yourself to go, you know, this is a little sketchy, and then allow yourself to change that channel. Or I don't really need to be hearing this, it's reminding me of something else. I need to change that. I need to not listen to that. I need to tune that out. I know these all, they all sound hard, but they're not. It just becomes a habit that says what I'm going to get out of it, having here, being able to hear the lifeguard is so much more valuable to me than this moment, this moment 
of what everyone else may call enjoyment, but all of a sudden isn't. I know, you know, that I, I have friends that love horror movies and things like that. I can't stand it because when I come home from that, it steals your joy. I remember when I was uh, 14, my brother took me to see Jaws. All right? Now, let me paint that story for you. Uh, my dad goes out on sea trial on a submarine that day. My brother says, hey, let me take you and mom out for a hamburger and a movie. You know, he's a teenager, so that's a big deal. So we say, oh, that's awesome. So he gets us, we go to McDonald's. It's, you know, he's, he's rocking his wallet. This is awesome. And then he says, all right, I'll take you to the movies. So he takes us, my dad just left on sea trial, to see Jaws. And so for the next two or three weeks while he was gone, I was having nightmare after nightmare that that big shark was eating him someplace out there at sea. Well, to this day, there isn't one time I go to the beach that I don't hear, da -da. all right? Now, y'all all know what I'm talking about. You get in the water, it gets a little murky, you hear it. Da -da. I mean, those are two notes that have haunted me the rest of my life, all right? So those are the types of things that can have impact on you even though, even now as we're watching the news, that may be common sense to hear those two notes. But the, the, the point is it caused an unnecessary fear by watching things that I really was, shouldn't have been watching. All right, now the strength part, a lot of people think that's a physical strength. It's really the ability to, to know where your weaknesses are and know how to avoid temptations. You know, when you take the motorcycle safety class, they teach you uh, drive toward where you wanna go, don't look at what you're trying to avoid. Because apparently, while you ride the motorcycle, if you're looking at what you're trying to avoid, something magical happens and you run right into the pothole you're trying not to hit. And so um, I think that this is where, where we can really gain a lot in terms of listening to our lifeguard. It's just saying, okay, you know, no temptation will overtake you. What is common in mankind, you know, we don't have to worry about that. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. I love the fact that scripture always reminds us that we're not called to be perfect. We are called to depend on God. All right? So every one of these scriptures that talks about temptation and things that can, can really change your world or, or cause you to stumble, there's always that redemptive part that says, God says, look, I know you're going to face these things, but I love you. I'm going to help you. I'm willing to be your lifeguard if you'll listen. But when tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. And I love the Philippian scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't do anything by myself. I can do some things unsuccessfully. I can do a few things unhappily. But if I want to be able to do all that God has called me to do in every day of my life, I can only do it with Christ. Because, see, we are people, and people, we get on each other's nerves. All right? That's what we do. And then things don't go quite right, and then we get upset about it. And then we overreact or underreact. And then that causes people to be people. Oh my gosh, is it a cycle? Are you hearing what I'm saying? So that's why with Christ, he can strengthen us to shut up when we want to say something. To stand tall when we want to walk away. To love when we want to hate. To care when we don't want to. That's the strength I'm talking about in that character and nature of Christ. I'm not talking about, oh, oh thank you, Jesus, all by myself. That's easy. But get a bunch of us together and we will drive each other nuts. Now, I'm not trying to be mean about it. I'm just being realistic. Look on Facebook. I mean, I have a tendency to call it fake book. There was somebody that I know that, uh, you know, would post all this. She was telling me about all these pictures they would post and all these beautiful pictures of all these gorgeous things and items and stuff. Meanwhile, in the background, her husband was asking for gas money. On Facebook, everything looked awesome. But in reality, it was not. 
But are we okay with fake? Are we all right with that? Is that somehow that perception all we're really after? Not me. I don't want it. I want this. I want God to strengthen me. I am weak. He is strong. I get it. I fall short. He does not. Praise the Lord. I drown in a kiddie pool. He can lift me up. So all we have to do is realize it's less about how people see us and more about how much he loves us. Because the way he sees us is how he created us. Full of potential to do all things. He created potential. And the reason I use that word is that potential requires effort. I could desire to run a mile, but if I never get off the couch, I'm never going to run a mile. There is an effort that has to happen on my part. If I want far more than I can ask or think God to provide, then number one, I got to think big. As scripture says, call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you know not. I love that scripture because I'm a doer. I like to do stuff. I like to help people. So he says, call on me. All right, that's something I have to do. I got to call. I got to ask. And then what does he say? I will answer you. It doesn't say I might. It doesn't say, please leave a message. I'll get back to you as soon as he. No, it says, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. He doesn't, I call on him. He doesn't go, like. No, he answers me. He answers me, right? And then not only call on me and I'll answer you, but then not only will he answer me, but he loves me so much, he'll show me great and mighty things that I haven't thought about yet. And that's true for each and every one of us. He doesn't love me any more than he loves every one of you. There is no difference. Where the difference comes, where that chasm is, is what do you want? What do you want? Are you willing to listen to the lifeguard? Are you willing to hear him deliver you out of whatever it is that's sucking you under? Is that what you want? Are you willing to listen? Because what I had to do to not drown was stand up. I had to do something. I had to listen long enough to have an action that really seemed unreasonable to me at that moment. I can't begin to tell you how unreasonable that sounded. Because in my mind, I was way over my head. But no. So you got to communicate and listen. You got to understand. Understanding takes, takes time sometimes. God, what are you trying to tell me? But remember, peace, love, confidence. Uh, peace, love, kindness, patience. If it's giving you one of those, you're on the way to hearing him really clearly. If it's saying hate, upset, irritated. Boy, am I going to tell them what I think on 411 and Facebook and everybody else. That's often not the best choice to get in that direction. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. Now, I've known a lot of people get hung up on that. They say, oh, wow, I got to be godly for God to direct me. Do you know what godly means? In the, in the original Hebrew, it would say um, hope, which is confident expectation. And godly was the love of your Lord. Do you love God? Do you believe Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe he rose again? I love it because he's, I've been all over the world and he's the only one with a borrowed tomb. Buddha's got a tomb. All right, he's got one. Muhammad got a tomb, got a square, got a place. All right, Jesus borrowed it, which I find poignant. He knew I'm not gonna need this a long time. It's really all right. So when he rose from the dead, he gave us that opportunity to be godly. Would you like to be godly? Believe in me. I will deliver you. 
I will make a way for you. Though I walk through the valley and shadow of death, you don't stop. You don't linger. You walk through. God gives us that. He showed us the way. He did it first. He walked through. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by hand. Though they stumble. Again, a reminder, we are not perfect, nor will we ever be. And if that's your goal, it's a waste of energy. I'm sorry to bust the bubble. It is a waste of energy. Because even in your own mind, it may be perfect. They will, I assure you there will be somebody to remind you that it is not. He will hold you by your hand. Unlike the lifeguard standing on the side of the pool yelling at me, stand up. Stand up. Come on. It's okay. Let me come get you. What did he do to Peter? Now that sea was deep. I did a lot of writing on this one. That sea was really deep and the storms would come suddenly. And what was Jesus doing when the storm came up? He was sleeping in the bow of the boat. Now any of us who've ever been in Back River when the storm comes up, you cannot sleep in the bow of the boat, all right? <laughs> all right? There, there is a sudden urgency for message, message point like I've never had before with a thunderstorm behind me. But there, there's no sleeping in the bow and the water really there isn't that deep. But where they were, the water was deep and the, the disciples were freaking out and they were calling, Jesus, oh my gosh. And he woke up and what was his reaction? Pretty much, what is wrong with y'all? I'm right here. I am right here. Now, we remember we went on in the story with Peter and he stepped out and he walked and he could believe. And then the minute he was there and he said, this shouldn't be happening. So here we go again. It went from here to here to here to here, right? His brain overwhelmed his his heart having a moment with God where he said, this is impossible. And it was. And then Jesus walked out on the water while it was still raging. He calm. And then what did he do to calm the sea? He spoke. Storm be still. If in a moment he can command the raging sea to stop. That was his way of letting us know the raging sea that's us. The disciples freaking out in the boat. They were close. They knew. They saw. They saw. That's what freaks me out a little bit about them having their moment of wickedness. And it helps me to see that I have, I, I, I'm human when I go, well, God, you know, what's going to happen? They had seen the blind man healed. They had seen the leper come out of the tomb. They had seen all sorts of things. That there is no reason, because, you know, uh, faith without works, they, you know, they'd seen all these things happen. They had no reason to doubt him. They had no reason to assume they were going to drown in that boat. They were going to capsize. They'd seen too much. But they knew too much, too. They were fishermen. They knew how to read the water. They knew how to read the tide. The wind was coming the wrong direction. It was coming over the bow of the boat. The boat was turned the wrong way. It was now coming in the side. There were fear of capsizing. They knew the water. They lived with that water. But in a moment, Jesus did something none of them could do. Stormy still. And I really don't think, a lot of times you see the Cecil B. DeMille moment. Storm be still. I don't think that was it at all. I think it was... Storm, be still. He really didn't have to work up a power. He had a power in a whisper. He had a power in an utterance. That's that same Jesus that loves each one of us. 
in the power of a moment, of a word, or a whisper can change everything. Everything. He heals. He delivers. He guides. He protects. He encourages. He equips. He uplifts. He redeems. He blesses. He loves. In a moment. He can turn sadness into gladness in a moment. He can turn grief into testimony in a moment. Doesn't have to yell at you. All he has to do is whisper. Because even with our kids, and Nicholas knows, you know, we spend half our time going, Nicholas! <laughs> I've got my own way of saying it. He knows. But all he also knows, when I don't say a word, there's power in that. It's just... He knows. He knows. Sorry, son. Words out. We can be cross Walmart. And he knows. But he also knows that I'm looking out for him, that I love him. The reason that he wants to listen or wants to please me when he can is he loves me too. So we forget sometimes when we talk about God that God is our father. Now, I realize there's the earthly father thing and there's some issues that some people have with all of that. But I want you to imagine just whoever it is that you can imagine that loves you so much that they would do anything for you. And often there are few and far between in our lives. But then take that person and then go beyond to that far more than you can ask or think, to that I want to hold your hand when everything's bad, to I want to lift you up when you're sad, to I want to deliver you. I want to bring you to a happier place. I want to deliver your finances. I want to deliver your health. I want to help you. But I'm requiring something of you. You've got to believe in me, which is simply acknowledging Jesus as Lord and personal Savior. We make it complicated, but it's, it's really the foundation of it. And then we have to ask, God help me. And then have some peace about the fact that he does not lie. That's scriptural too. God does not lie. He keeps his promises. So unlike this guy, stand up! Which was liberating, embarrassingly liberating. God wants to do so much more for us than just be our lifeguard from a distance. He doesn't just want to stand on the shore and point. He doesn't just want to condemn, criticize, complain. Oh, you should have done this. You should have done that. We do that far too easily all by ourselves. He doesn't need help. He wants to do the exact opposite. He wants to reach out and say, I love you. I care for you. Come on. Come on. It's all right. You're over your head. You're over your head. Your finances got it. You're over your head. Health issues. I got you. Come on. Come on. Is there something in your life where you need to come on? You need to stand up moment. Do you need God to reach down in your life right now and say, God, you know, I, I need some help taking care of this because I'm exhausted. Come on, I got you. It sounds simple. It almost sounds ridiculous. That's why our faith is so different from other faiths. I've been uh, around the world where I'll meet Shinto Buddhists and all these crazy people doing all these crazy things, no offense to anybody, but it is, strikes me as nuts that I have to go and do things to get God to like me. I went to a wedding once. And the wedding, a Shinto Buddhist, and they had a stick on the front of the car, and on the front of the stick was a piece of meat, and it was raw. And the wedding couple was running out, and they went and got in the car, and I'm completely confused. Why is there a roast beef on the end of the stick on the front of the car? And so they said, well, and this was in Taiwan. They said, well, that's so that the, the spirits that want to destroy their marriage will eat the meat instead. 
Are you kidding me? And then meanwhile, in the back of my mind, my God's bigger than your God. I'm sorry, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking to myself, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to set out offerings for things that want to kill me. I have a God that wants to defend me. I don't have to worry and fear all the things that are around me that want to get me. I can instead say, God, protect me. Call on me and I'll answer you. You're in a dark alley. You call on Jesus. I guarantee you God is going to look out for you. I've been, I was in the middle of Africa, middle of nowhere, ate something I shouldn't have eaten, was on the side of the road in the middle of the Serengeti, which the side of the road in Serengeti, that's oxymoron. I was on a path right in the middle of grass, okay? So I'm there and I'm sick as a dog, right? And so I go to this little, little area and then I, the, the guide with me says, oh no, ma'am, you, you need to be careful. And I said, look, dude, I got to get out of this vehicle, all right? So uh, he says, oh, well, well, we have the, the hippopotamus over there. You know, hippopotamus are worse than alligators. And I didn't realize that. Hippo will eat you quicker than an alligator. <laughs> Who knew? And then he said, oh, I didn't want to watch the field over here because there are no birds in the field. And I said, okay. Well, if there are no birds, there are probably snakes. Oh, great, fantastic. <laughs> Today it's getting better all along. So then I go under the shade of the tree. And I'm looking on the ground, I'm looking on the goes, Oh, lady, what are you looking at? What are you looking for? And I said, I said, well, you know, you've told me about snakes. I'm looking for snakes. And he said, lady, how do you think snake kill elephant? I said, I have no idea. And they drop from the trees. <laughs> so, so when you are surrounded by everything that wants to get you, I am sick as a dog. And, I, and I'm like, God, I prayed a simple prayer. God, if I could just had a rag and a glass of water. I, I was literally, I had malaria, so I didn't know that, oh, that's what it was, but I didn't know that. And out of nowhere, the Serengeti goes for hundreds of miles, it seems a lot, I think it's hundreds of miles. But anyway, as large as you can see, nothing but grass, maybe about this tall, a few trees, and that's it. So you could see car traffic is my point. No sooner did I pray that, about maybe five minutes later, this Jeep pulls up, a couple gets out, hands me a cup, a gallon of water and a rag. And I'm like, and I'm still sick, so I'm just, oh, thank you. It never even occurred to me until I was drinking the water and I'm like this and I hear the people behind me. It's like six other people with me. Where did they go? And I turned around to look and keep in mind, you can see traffic for forever. And when there was no dust trail, there was no car trail, there was nothing. Where did they go? All I needed at that moment was a glass of water and a rag. And God provided a gallon of cold water in the middle of Africa with a cup and a rag. Call on me and I'll answer you. You know what you think you need, but I know what you really need. Now, I don't tell you those stories, so, ooh, what could he do? No, I'm telling you, I was puking my guts out in the middle of Africa. There's nothing exciting about that, all right? My point is, no matter where you are, no matter what you're in the middle of, no matter how hard it may feel, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you fear, God is there for you. He wants to, he's reaching out his hand, and I believe it's this gesture, because normally when we're looking to God, we're not looking at him like this, we're looking at him like this. It's usually at our point of weakness. And what's really ironic is the scripture says, when we are weak, he is strong. It's no problem. It's no problem. Whatever you've got, whatever you're holding, whatever you're carrying, whatever you wish you could get rid of or change, he's got you. All you have to do is ask. And be willing 
to allow him to help you. That's all it takes. Be willing to allow him to help you. Let him be your lifeguard. That still small voice that says, don't go at the stoplight. The still small voice that says, say hello to that lady. You don't know her from Adam. You don't know what they're going through, but God may be using you in this moment. So that's all I wanted to share with you today is how embarrassing moments God can redeem them. How God truly loves you very much, but not just in the, and I hesitate to say this, but not just in the go learn more about him, but he is really interested in you. He wants to know all about you. He knows all about you, but what he really wants is you to communicate with him. He knows you need him. He knows you might need a little extra help. All he really wants to hear. As a parent, how much I appreciate it when my son says, Mom, can you help me with this? When he expresses the need. It's liberating. It allows me to help him in a different way because now I know he's interested in what I have to say. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for every person here, Lord God. And I ask, Lord God, that you would be our lifeguard, that you would lift us up, that you would encourage us. And God, I pray right now, if there is anyone here today, God, who is still yet to call you their lifeguard, who has something on their heart they want to just let you take care of, they have something they need you to take a hand of because it's too heavy, it's over their head. God, I just ask in Jesus' name, today is the day they remember is the day they let it down and the day you picked it up. So God, I just ask, Father, you would bless each and every one of us. You would help us to live, Father, in a way that we can hear you, in a way we can communicate. Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would continue to just bless our lives and give us wisdom in all the things we do. Help us, Lord God, to realize it's, it's not the hard life you've called us to as much as it's the blessed life you want us to have. So Father, I just ask in Jesus' name that you would Continue, Lord God, to give us your wisdom and peace and patience and kindness and love. And to know in our hearts that you truly love us very much. In Jesus' name.